If you're a police officer or currently working in law enforcement and you're considering your career, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Andy Labrum. Welcome to the Blue Light Leavers podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Blue Light Leavers podcast. Now, I'm really conscious that a number of you are either going through or have been through the ill health retirement process. And I know from conversations I've had and survey results that for many of you, leaving on ill health retirement has been incredibly tough with no support offered for life after the job, how to get a new job or a new career on leaving, and things like what reasonable adjustments can be put in place by your new employer. So the point of this episode is to signpost you to a fantastic support group that are really going the extra mile to help and support those leaving on ill health. And that's the charity Police Care UK. Now, Police Care UK are the charity for serving veteran police officers and staff, volunteers and their families who have suffered any physical or psychological harm as a result of policing. They're completely independent of the police service and they are funded entirely by donations and fundraising. They receive no money from government or from forces for the work that they do. Now, this episode has four short interviews. The first is with Dave Blundell, who's the Engagement Officer for Police Care UK. The second is with Alan Fairclough, who's doing some fantastic work. He is their peer support coordinator. The third is with Andy Pennock, and he talks about the role of the volunteer, and he's doing fantastic things for Police Care UK. And the final interview is with Terry Kearsey, who uh, is in charge of fundraising and events. Now, I really hope you find this useful. Let's go over to Dave now. Hi, Dave. Great to have you here. Thank you so much for agreeing to be interviewed um, on the Blue Light Leavers podcast. It is really good of you. And um, again, I, I think this is going to be of great interest to a lot of people. So thank you for, uh, for being here. Now, could you please just give us a, a little bit of a background into, uh, or into your background, actually, tell us a little bit about you, and then obviously we can talk about police care. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I joined the Met Police uh, back in 1987 as a cadet, uh, and I um, spent most of my time in uniform and uh, on shift work, uh, mainly in southeast London. Um, and then towards the end of my career, uh, I was a federation representative and uh, represented the Met and City Forces on the national board. And whilst I was there, I had uh, an interest in things like uh, injury on duty, ill health, retirement, um, well-being of officers and staff and that sort of thing. I also had a portfolio responsibility for charities because I recognised that charities did an awful lot for the police. And I thought it was important that we provided some support to them. Uh, And for a while, I chaired a group called the uh, Police Charities UK group. In fact, I still do chair that group. But but one of those charities was Police Care. And you'll find that there are all all sorts of other charities within that group as well. Uh, And when I came towards the end of my my service, and in fact, I went over 30 years and, you know, my my wife had kind of said, Dave, you know, you've done your bit and we've got things to do and sort of dreams to realise and you know perhaps it's time you left and I at first didn't really want to until I found the right role Uh, and uh, this role at police care uh, arose uh, as the engagement officer for them and I thought well that's kind of what I wanted to do and so I you know Mm. I applied for that and and here I am that's brilliant I'm an ex-cadet as well actually a little bit ahead of you, 84, yeah. <laughs> and it shows. <laughs> you look a lot younger than I do. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just a fantastic thing. And that's, that's brilliant, you know, to be involved in, in what you have done so far for so long is is a really good thing. So um, um, it'd be great to know a bit more about police care. And, um, uh, you know, I know obviously you've been involved for a while and, and uh, we've obviously spoken before, but from a, from a, you know, from a Blue Light Leavers perspective, we know that there are some of our members who are um, – who've maybe left on ill health. So if you could tell us about police care, that'd be fantastic. Okay, so police care is actually a very old charity. Uh, in fact, it, it was formed uh, through the amalgamation of two quite old charities. The first one was the uh, National Police Fund, and that was formed in 1926, um, following the, uh, uh, the general strike. Uh, and the Times newspaper uh, along with King George V, decided, well, we need some funds to assist uh, you know, police officers. Uh, and so they, uh, like I say, they formed the National Police Fund. If we go fast forward to 1966, uh, uh, and we saw on the 12th of August the slaying of three officers, Christopher Head, mm-hmm. David Wanwell, and uh, Geoffrey Fox, mm-hmm. just by Wormwood Scrub, uh, Scrubs Prism. 
Um, and there was such an outpouring of public grief uh, on that occasion that uh, uh, people started to make donations. In fact, Billy Butlin made a donation of about uh, £100,000, which is worth about £1.6 million pounds, uh, today. Mm. And that money was taken. It was used to form the Police Dependence Trust. And those uh, charities uh, kind of coexisted along with the others for, for quite some time. And in 2016, uh, a review was undertaken by the University of Surrey, which kind of looked at what those charities did and determined uh, the best way to move forward. Remember back in 1926, I suppose, you had police officers, uh, and that was pretty much it. Now, what we find is we have uh, a, a huge support from police staff, and the delineation between police officers and police staff has become really blurred now, particularly when you consider... Uh, scenes of crime officers, uh, investigating officers, and uh, PCSOs, and, and all these kind of roles. So Police Care was formed in uh, 2019, and, and we changed the name uh, to Police Care to kind of better reflect what we did. Mm. And what we now do is we assist police officers and police staff um, and police volunteers, whether they're serving veteran and their immediate families who have been harmed as a result of policing. Mm. And when we talk about harm, the, 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 the definition is quite broad. Um, perhaps, uh, you know, in, in, in days gone by, we used to see uh, a lot of injury and injury tended to be the, uh, you know, leg injuries, arm injuries and, and that sort of thing. But now what we have seen is um, uh, mental health issues have, have now overtaken that. Mm. And so we're seeing an awful lot of uh, PTSD, complex PTSD, uh, stress-related anxiety, and, and those sort of things. And let's remember that you know when 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 I joined the police, uh, you know, thirty years ago, um, these things weren't really well understood. And you know, if if you had an officer who was was kind of struggling uh, with the, the trauma that they were experiencing through policing, they, they, the sergeant would take them on to the, see the inspector and the inspector would have a kind of have a seven to an eight or form written out ready for them to sign, which was a resignation form. And they'd say, look, you know, sorry, son, but policing's not for you. And, you know, this is, this is what we do in the police. And, you know, you, you kind of got to get on with it. Fortunately, things have changed and, uh, and, and now, you know, we understand a lot more about, uh, you know, PTSD. We understand a lot more about trauma. So as a charity, um, we are now entirely independent. And that means that we can be entirely confidential. Uh, when people do come to us, uh, we don't share that information with anybody. Uh, and we never have done. We don't receive any state funding and we don't receive any funding from forces and that kind of helps us to, to retain that uh, confidentiality. Mm. So what we do uh, is that we, we I suppose, uh, effectively, we, we hold a checkbook and we write checks for things. So when officers might come to us because they might need some um, assistance with uh, home improvement, because, you know, for example, a ramp or some mobility aids, that sort of thing. And we can often assist with a grant for that. Um, I mentioned earlier that we we, we provided uh, assistance for, for PTSD uh, and other, um, uh, I suppose, psychological issues. And the way we do that is that we would uh, often refer people to a one of our own service providers. Um, uh, and then following assessment, we'll, we'll effectively write the check for, for that. Um, so there are things that we don't do, uh, and we don't provide assistance where uh, there is uh, state assistance or statutory services are already available. Um, we don't repay debts, um, and we don't cover any legal expenses, particularly county court costs or solicitor's fees. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't provide loans. We just do grants. Uh, we, we wouldn't really be in a position to administer loans, and it's something that we don't want to do. Yeah. Uh, and we don't provide uh, uh, funding for medical care, saving some very, very rare and exceptional circumstances. And of course, we don't provide assistance where 
the condition or injury is is temporary or minor in it, its nature. Now, the way that people can uh, access our help, uh, there's three ways, really. I suppose they can uh, uh, have a look online, which is what most people tend to do these days. Um, they can call us on the phone or they can uh, get in touch with one of our uh, local representatives, a local volunteer. Uh, my strong advice to anybody really is is is, is if you're asking uh, if you're if you're seeking help yourself or you're you're um, referring somebody else to us is get them to go on our website uh, mm-hmm. and do this online. Um, I would very much discourage anybody to act as a as sort of middle person because it, it embroils you. Um, it, it, it creates a loss of accuracy and a loss of confidentiality as well. And and, and quite frankly. Um, you don't want to get in, involved too heavily because you know people have got their own uh, busy lives to lead as well, and and really we, we would rather sort of short circuit that and get people to come straight to us. We also know that quite often officers and staff, you know, when they're really suffering, particularly with uh, anxiety, they're often awake at two or three o'clock in the morning, and this is when we find that they'll they'll begin to search for help. They're not sleeping at night. There's something on their mind that they're really going through it and, and and we'll find that we'll get referrals in the very small hours of the morning which and the only way we can do that of course is, is via our, our website yeah. um i suppose it's uh, right for me to say uh, a little bit about how people can help if they're minded to help and um, the most important thing is that we just want people to know who we are um, and that we exist and that we're here um, and we want people to tell other people we exist. Hmm. I suppose we we have a, an aspiration that we might perhaps be the, the British Legion of the Police Service. Um, we're not a household name yet. Uh, we're not known by every member of the police service up and down the country. Um, but we are slowly getting there. Uh, and there are um, uh, quite a lot of people who have nothing to do with the police who, who, who know that we're here. Um, People can register for our email updates. Uh, we can keep them updated with what we're doing. They can perhaps, uh, you know, put up one of our posters or uh, consider a volunteer role uh, in the future. Depends mm. on how much they want to get involved. But again, you know, we realise that people have got busy lives. We we don't want to, um, you know, create a sort of a, a, an undue or, or an unfair sort of um, burden on them. So so we we, we kind of keep mindful of that. Yeah, sure. Now, I mentioned earlier that we do have volunteers um, and we have uh, different kinds of volunteers, but essentially there's, there's, there's three or four types. We have champions and these are just people who know that we're here. Um, they, they, they kind of register for our updates and they tell other people. Um, we have ambassadors and those ambassadors will perhaps go to a meeting for us or, or deliver a presentation. There's an element of training for them. Um, there's also an element of training for what we call support volunteers, and support volunteers are individuals who provide a one-to-one contact for uh, those that seek uh, or reach out for our help. And it might be that they might visit another officer in their home, and uh, you know, or a retired officer, and, and, and see what sort of assistance they need. Mm. We quite often find that you know officers and staff will will come to us because they they have a you know one problem, and and, and when our support volunteers go around. They find actually the, the the officers actually need a lot more help, but you know what? They're just 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 afraid to ask for it, or or you know, feel that there's a stigma attached in asking for help, and, and they don't. Um, so we, uh, it's probably right uh, that I also mention a little bit about uh, how we're funded, and we get quite a lot of questions about this, and, and quite rightly so. You know, we are a you know, we are a charity, and we we. We, we, we do collect money from people. So we uh, we we have investments, uh, and remember that the charity is very old, so we have some investments from which we derive an income. Uh, and that, that income is used to pay for, uh, you know, a, a, a large part of what we do. But, of course, it's, it's not going to last forever. Mm. We do receive some philanthropic giving, uh, and uh, I suppose my message here to, to any of your listeners would be, you know, there are some people, they're not in the police, who – really do care about you and they don't like it at all when they see you know police officers and staff getting bashed up uh, and when that happens um quite often we'll see you know people making donations they can't as you know 
uh, give you know give donations to, to forces and officers because mm-hmm. officers can't accept gratuities. So they come to us and they'll, they 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 make donations. Sometimes they're quite sizable. Some of the money comes from uh, a, a give as you earn or payroll giving from forces. And and like I say, because the charity is so old, some of these were set up a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And they, they can be based on an amount of perhaps a shilling a week per officer, which is mm-hmm. you know, as much five pence per officer per, per month or whatever it is now. I don't know. Um, so some forces, you know, they they they, they can make some some uh, payments that way. Not all forces, maybe only um, uh, you know two dozen will will work in this way. And but it's it's we, we try to move away from it a little bit now. We prefer um, uh, what we call our friends of uh, police care scheme, and and this is where uh, people can make donations to either a one off donation or they can make a regular monthly donation. The advantage of this is that um, uh, it, it means that uh, that they can control what they do. They they you know they can control which accounts it comes from. They can stop it if they feel that they can't afford it, or they can increase it and do what they wish. They have more control. But the, but the bigger advantage is is that it means that people who are not in the police service can make those donations as well, and they do. Uh, you know, sometimes we we have you know mums and dads and brothers and sisters and friends and. Uh, and, and all sorts of people who, you know, set up uh, just get, you know, the other sort of um, monthly payments mm-hmm. to our friends of scheme. So I hope that is an, a, a sort of brief overview uh, of, of what we do and who we are. That's brilliant, Dave. And as, as you know, the listeners will know, this is one of uh, four interviews uh, for one episode all about Police Care UK. And we'll be moving on to Alan shortly. But um, um, a couple of things that I noticed as well is that you've actually helped a staggering number of people as well. Um, I think it was around about ten thousand officers um, that you've helped as well, which is which is fantastic. Um, and do you also fund research, Dave? I I, yes, I remember seeing something a little while back. Yeah, yeah, we do. We have uh, our, our our director of research uh, is, I suppose, has a lot to do with uh, Cambridge University, and we uh, we we. Published research, uh, really, it was a survey uh, into um, to assess trauma uh, and management, or trauma management, I suppose, uh, you know, amongst the police forces. <clears throat> we published this back in uh, May last year, and it was called The Job and the Life, and it's available on our website. It's also been provided to forces, and, and really, it's, a, I suppose, a reference tool to understand a little bit about how trauma can affect police officers uh, and how that trauma builds up. Uh, and if it becomes unprocessed, it can then lead on to PTSD and complex PTSD. Mm. That's brilliant. That's really good. So it's a great use of people's funds as well. And obviously by don- donating, um, you know, regularly and doing it in that format, it means that, you know, the charity can forecast as well. And um, um, no, that's brilliant. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Great insight into into police care. And um, yeah, no doubt we'll uh, we'll be speaking again very soon. Thanks, Andy. Thanks, Dave. Bye-bye. Hi, Alan. Great to have you here. Thanks ever so much for uh, for agreeing to be interviewed on the Blue Light Leavers podcast. No problem. Um, we spoke to uh, Dave earlier, and uh, and obviously he's given us a great overview of Police Care UK and how it came about and the type of support that's uh, that's out there and available. Um, but what I'd really like to do is, is drill down a bit more into your specific area of expertise, if you like. And But first off, if you can just tell us a little bit about you and your role within Police Care UK, that'd be great. Yeah, great stuff. It's great to, to help and, and uh, be on the podcast today. Uh, so my name is Alan Fairclough. I retired from Cheshire Police and Thames Valley Police uh, in October uh, uh, 2018, which I can't believe is you know, three years already. Um, I, I always enjoyed working with people. I enjoyed uh, supporting people through difficult times. Uh, and I was a trim practitioner um, and a diffuser as well. Um, and when I left uh, the police, I was very lucky that uh, Police Care were looking for somebody to set up a new uh, peer support program for people who are going through ill health retirement. Um, and, and lots of my experiences through doing the trim um, and the well-being put me in a great position. I was very fortunate to start working for Police Care in 2019. Brilliant. And what does TRIM actually mean? What does that stand for? 
So uh, trim is a process where uh, after a traumatic incident, it's a process of debriefing people. So it's a traumatic incident management. So some of the listeners may be familiar with that, where traditionally uh, people are brought together um, um, within a couple of weeks of the incident um, and taken through a process where they explore their thoughts and feelings and try to answer any questions they've got regarding the uh, the incident in, in question. I understand. Thank you for that. That's really helpful. Thank you. Just so people understand any of the some of the acronyms as well. That's great. I'm with you, yeah. Yeah. Um, so in terms of what Police Care UK um, do and how they can help officers that are maybe going through uh, ill health retirement um, or have been through the process, which we know can be, you know, sort of long-winded and quite traumatic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's that there's a massive amount of uncertainty. And I know there's a lot of people within the group that have been through the process or are going through the process and they have loads yeah. of questions and, and they're really not sure about, you know, how, what, what is open to them and, uh, and what support is there for them. Could you just explain a little bit more about what you do? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So, so I'll, I'll break it down into a, a few parts. So, so first of all, I'll talk about our research uh, undertaken by the charity in terms of the injury on duty process and the impact that can have on people going through it. Um, the second part I'll talk about is uh, a bit of context about the peer support program, which was started as a result of that research. Um, um, then I'll talk about some of the, um, uh, the volumes of people we deal with. But also at the end, I'll finish off with some really nice quotes from the people who've uh, come through the process with us. So, so thankfully, we've taken them from some of the real dark, difficult places and taken them so they're able to keep their head up and look forward to a bright future. That's amazing. Thank so, you. That's brilliant. No problem. So, so in, in 2016, uh, Police Care uh, undertook a big survey. We had nearly 18,000 respondents. That included serving and retired officers, staff uh, and volunteers. Um, and the, the part that we're going to talk about today is particularly around the injury on duty. Um, so we found that people who were injured on duty, so that could be an RTC, and a, 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 a road traffic collision and an injury caused by that. It could be where an officer is assaulted, uh, or it could be where an officer is suffering psychological um, damage as a result of their policing role. But some of the phrases that came out of that research, some of the listeners today may well find that, that resonates with themselves. So we found that uh, as a police veteran going through the ill health retirement process, they, they found that support that they needed was very difficult to find or, or in a lot of cases non-existent. They used phrases like they felt they'd been thrown on the scrap heap and that they were just a number, um, that the process was very transactional rather than involving people. It was all process-driven. Um, the, the process itself was lengthy. The assessment process around the level of injury and, and uh, disability uh, was uh, very long. Um, it left the person on the receiving end of it feeling isolated, vulnerable, uh, felt untrusted. Um, people fell out of love with the fact that they'd given all that great service to the police. Uh, perhaps they started to not trust the messages coming from HR. And in some smaller forces as well, there was a loss, uh, a, a loss of trust between the person going through the, the process and their federation and the NARPO uh, involved. Because in small forces, people know each other. Um, and especially with, a, with perhaps a PTSD mindset, people felt as if they couldn't truly uh, talk in confidence uh, to those organisations. Mm. Um, so we had people very isolated uh, and staring into the unknown. So what we uh, established was one of the best ways of supporting the people who are going through that process and feeling that way would be some peer support. Um, and so in October 2019, that's when we started our first uh, peer support one-to-one -one, uh, with people. Now, before that, we had to recruit the right people to be our peer supporters. Because uh, whichever peer support program you look at, whether it's Alcohol Anonymous or, or, or drug addiction, the best supporters are undoubtedly the people who can truly empathise with the person they're supporting. Mm. So we recruited people who've been through that ill health retirement process themselves. So in my team of volunteer peer supporters, I've got a whole range of diversity there, a whole range of uh, people who've been through the process for a number of reasons, 
different ranks, different roles, um, different um, uh, locations around the UK, different forces that served him. But the great thing about all these people is that they, they want to use their own negative experience as a positive to help other people. Mm. They want to stop other people going through that, that same process and those same feelings that they did. And for me, that, that's one of the, the bits of magic of, of, uh, of my role is, mm. is hearing and seeing that actually take place with the peer supporters, where they get that type of reward and helping people move on. So we have this group of, of uh, peer supporters who we trained in the, um, in, uh, in the art. And I definitely call it an art. It's not a, a science. It's definitely the art of, of um, peer supporting. Um, and we, we have a clinical support package around them as well to make sure that we are not um, uh, making them uh, any worse or we're not, uh, when they talk to people, any triggers they're exposed to isn't going to make them relapse. So, so we have a nice clinical support program around the volunteers as well. And we first started supporting people going through the ill health retirement process in October 2019. Mm. Um, and the, the type of beneficiary uh, who comes to us asking for support is, is quite varied. Now, now we're sort of 15, 16 months into it. So some of the people who come to us are still in employment and wondering about the pros and cons of going for ill health retirement. We've got some people who come to us are at the early stages or part way through. We have people who come to us who are towards the end. And we have people who are perhaps one, two, three, four years past the ill health retirement, but still haven't adjusted or adapted to their new lifestyle and need some help and around that. Yeah. So it's quite a broad spectrum of people uh, in terms of the ill health retirement process we've supported. Um, so the way that the scheme works is that um, Beneficiaries or, or listeners, if they feel they need this type of support, will uh, apply to police care. So you can go to our website and self-refer there, or I'll share uh, an email address as well, which is hello at policecare.org.uk. So get in touch with us and give us some basic details around yourself and the type of support you're after, and we'll get back in contact with you. But what happens is when a person is accepted by police care, um, and, and put on our books, that's when they, uh, the, the welfare team will then contact me and we'll make contact uh, with the person and we'll offer the peer support. So what the peer support feels like uh, and looks like is that you'll be allocated a specific peer supporter and that peer supporter then will make contact with you and on a one-to-one -one basis arrange to have a conversation with you. Now, in current climate, that's telephone-based or it's team or Zooms-based. Uh, but when the, the world restarts, then we'll be uh, offering face-to-face -face as well, because we know that some people prefer that method of communication compared to digital. But how that works is that person, the peer supporter will contact you, and they'll uh, uh, take you uh, through around three to five one-to-one -one sessions over a period of several weeks or a few months or so, um, and, and those dates will be agreed between you and the peer supporter to suit what's going on in your life and any key events that are happening in your process. So, for example, if you've got a, a key appointment with HR on the Thursday, you might arrange to have a session with your peer supporter on the Friday morning mm. just because you feel that might be a bit of a trigger point and it's something you want to discuss with the peer supporter. Now, the peer supporters are there to provide you with emotional support. It's that true empathy that they can provide with you because they've walked in the shoes, uh, they've been through the process. But what they are really good at is listening and helping people with big, complex, interlinked problems actually to start to break them down and, and prioritise them into bite-sized chunks. And then through that, that process as well, they can help, the, um, uh, help you identify which areas is there a priority for you and how you can address them. So if you need some practical support, they could refer you and sign uh, back into our welfare team. If it's financial support and advice that you need, again, that could be uh, back to our welfare team or, or it could be to um, another charity like IODPA, for example, the Injured on Duty Pension Association, if you wanted some help with working out calculations or values of pensions. 
um, and that type of information. Uh, and of course, if you feel that you need emotional support, so, so you identify that you could benefit from some counselling and you're registered with the charity, you, you meet the, our criteria to be registered. And again, the peer supporters will be signposting you back to welfare in terms of getting that emotional support. But over the 15 months or so we've been going, we've also got a big, big database of alternative providers as well. And, and as there's commonality between beneficiaries asking for support in specific areas, the peer supporters share uh, uh, the research they do. Uh, and so we've got lots of other opportunities um, and other charities that we can signpost and refer you to uh, to try and get you the help needed to start working through some of those problems that, that people face. So that's how peer support works. It's a dedicated person you speak to. It's not an opportunity just to whinge and moan and swing the lamp. I think that's important to say. It's actually a constructive conversation, a constructive relationship you have with the peer supporter because we want you to be at a better place at the end of that one-to-one -one, uh, uh, program than you were at the start. But that said, we don't just drop people at the end. Uh, the, 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 the usual exit route for people is at the end of their one-to-one -one, uh, sessions, is they then join one of our groups that we run. So these are run virtually, and we run them about once a month. Um, and this is where people who've been through the one-to-one -one support process are coming to the end of it. We all dial in, um, and we have a, a structured meeting for an hour or so. Um, and these meetings are facilitated by the peer supporters, so it gives them purpose and, and gives them uh, some direction and energy and the peer supporters or beneficiaries choose what the topic is going to be for the particular month. Um, so the, uh, as we sit here now, we've got one happening in two weeks' time, and the, the conversations we're going to be having will be around the, um, the need for self-compassion, uh, because we sometimes hear that people actually forget to look after themselves sometimes. They're too busy with so much going on, they forget the value of a bit of self-compassion. So we'll be talking through that and share, encouraging people to share their examples around um, self-compassion. And then the second topic we'll be discussing will be selfless acts. So asking people to share any selfless acts that they've undertaken themselves, but perhaps also they've been on the receiving end as well. So, so having gone through a one-to-one -one, um, relationship, you're then uh, invited to join our groups, uh, one of our groups, um, and we have people who've been coming to those for over a year now. So, so they're not formal, they're not um, mandatory. Uh, people can come and go from those, uh, from those groups depending on where they are in terms of everything else happening in their house. But it's a really nice, it, the feedback we get, it's a really nice way of, of staying in touch with a new group of uh, the wider police family, a new group of people who understand your journey, um, a group where you don't have to explain yourself all the time. Um, and people enjoy that because the, one of the key things that comes from the peer support, the, sorry, the feedback I get from people who've undergone peer support is that quite often they think it's just them that feel that way. They feel it's just them that feel they're being isolated and, and targeted by the process. Whereas actually, sadly, we know it's very common across the whole of the UK and coming to a group where you, your experiences are, are common is actually quite empowering because it, it takes away the, the feeling that perhaps you are being picked on or targeted. So yeah, so, so that's the, the overview of how we, we run peer support. Uh, people register with the charity, you're allocated a peer supporter, you have that relationship with the person for, for uh, three to five sessions, and at the tail end of it, we encourage you to come to the groups and stay in touch with us through the groups for that little bit of informal uh, group support, uh, which takes place once a month. That's brilliant, Alan, and, and it's just so reassuring to know that that is out there and available to people, and, and certainly it's something that I wasn't aware of, um, you know, prior to us getting in touch uh, a little while yeah, back. Yeah. Um, and so I guess because it's fairly new as well, I guess, but um, are you finding, <clears throat> excuse me, are you finding that you're getting uh, force referrals um, or are people self-referring? And the third question really is, um, can, can a partner 
or a family member refer a particular officer if they feel it's going to be, um, you know, is it, does it have to be self-referral, I guess? Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so at, at the moment we are in, uh, just starting the second year of, of the trial. Mm. So, so we went live across four Northwest forces, so Cheshire, Merseyside, GMP and Lancashire. That's where we actually went live. Uh, and we formally uh, collaborated with the Federation, uh, NARPOs, HRs, uh, benevolent funds and the like in that part of the world. So, mm. so we did that to try and test the scheme. Um, and we do get referrals from all of those um, uh, those partners in those areas where we have advertised. Mm. Um, and then uh, having uh, set up the, that program and, and because of that, we can test our own internal processes, uh, test that we've got the right support for our volunteers. Once we're happy with that, we then lifted that and dropped that on Thames Valley. Uh, so Thames Valley is the fifth force that we're advertising in. Um, and again, down there, we partner with all the uh, the HRs and the NARPOs and Feds and Benevolent Funds, uh, Flint House as well, for those of you who know that part of the world. Yeah. Um, and, and again, we get referrals coming in from all of those partners in across the five forces that we, we partner in. Now, in terms of uh, referrals outside of that, um, as long as the person who's being referred to us knows they're being referred, then we will look at it. Uh, yeah. we, we have had it where... Uh, people have been referred to us, but then when we made contact, suggested they didn't know. Now, I, I think that's probably people perhaps trying to do the right thing. But as long as you have the consent of the person referring to us, then we will make contact with them. We'll see what we can do to help and support them. Great stuff. And how long is it normally between a referral and contact being made? Uh, it's very quick. Um, if somebody's referred to us, then welfare get back in, in contact with them in a day or so. And then they'll perhaps ask a few more detailed questions uh, for people. Um, and forgive me if Dave has talked about this, but for people to be signed up in the charity, there, there, there's that um, uh, test to check that somebody is who they say they are, that they have served and they have been harmed as a result mm. of their policing role. So, so that's quite a low, a low threshold test, but we do have to put that in place. Um, and then as soon as that's done uh, and that, that evidence is produced, if required, then I can have a, a peer support to talk to somebody within a couple of days. It, it's very quick. Yeah, great stuff. Um, so I'm just thinking about in terms of confidentiality as well. Um, you said that uh, yeah. uh, there is that sort of low-level test to, to make sure that the person is who they say they are. What about um, you know levels of confidentiality? Yeah, so uh, we, uh, we are an independent charity, and so we do not report uh, anything back to any forces. Um, we report trends and themes, and if an officer from a force is giving us specific feedback about how bad their, the process is, then we will offer that to the forces um, anonymously. Um, so we have, we have seen a couple of forces rethink and shape their retirement process as a result of a bit of feedback from ourselves. Um, but we, we are pulling together uh, a, a report in a couple of months' time, which is based on the first year's evidence, which uh, Jill, our CEO, will look to present to forces to try and, and get them to stop being so process-driven and transactional yeah. and be a bit more person-centred. Absolutely. Without a doubt, it has to be, because it is traumatic. You know, there's, there's on many, many occasions, officers don't want to leave. They're put in a position where they have to Absolutely. leave. So it's, um, you know, it's through no fault yeah. of their own. So, uh, um, and from a cost perspective, is that, obviously I know you're a charity. Are there costs involved and are there ways that people can pay back? Not necessarily just financially, but are there ways that people yeah. can pay back? Yeah, absolutely. So, so people uh, who are uh, receive peer support from us, there's no charge. Clearly there's no charge. Um, uh, our volunteers are, are fantastic. Um, but there's no charge for people who come to us for peer supporting. What we have started to find now is that some of the people who've been with us for peer support and have come out the other side in a better place, uh, recently we've recruited them now as our newest volunteer peer supporters because they're just able to empathise empathize so strongly with their ill health journey, but also having been on the receiving end of the peer support, they also... Um, are a better place to, to uh, understand what that feels like as well. Yeah, so people can you know, give back to us in lots of ways, uh, you know, volunteering, uh, shaking a tin for us, promoting by word of mouth the, the charity and peer support. Um, and we know that's one of the 
one of the best ways of promoting the peer support. We, we know we support lots of people with PTSD and complex PTSD, and sometimes trust is an issue. Sometimes getting people up to the door or up to the threshold, we can do that and volunteers do that. But actually, that person having the confidence to knock on the door and ask for help or step over the threshold and, and open themselves up to our support, sometimes that's really hard. Mm-hmm. So people, you know, word of mouth from people who received a good service from us, that we, we know that quite a lot of people come back to us based on those, those um, their testimonies. That's brilliant. You did mention actually you had a few, um, you know, testimonials that um, that you could possibly share. Yes, absolutely. Um, so, so these are a couple that I, I recently picked out when I was updating our, our broader base of volunteers on the um, uh, ill health retirement process. So this came from one beneficiary. Can I just say thanks for the ongoing support that you and the team are providing? It's been invaluable to me. I can only say it's a shame our Fed and the Occupational Health Unit don't offer the same support. So, so that's typical if you think about how we started. That's mm. typical how quite a lot of people feel. Um, but that, that for me, that's testimony to show that still, even though the research was three years ago, that we still have people coming through who are saying that. Yeah. And then the second testimony, um, uh, it starts with, it, it's hard to think that I've gone from a crime car, traffic, firearms for over 23 years i was doing presentations to 350 people at times and now i find it hard to even introduce myself i found peer support really beneficial and i never would have got to real health retirement without my peer supporter that's brilliant so that's the type of thing that our peer supporters hear um through uh, from beneficiaries all the time yeah that's great well it, it You know, you're clearly doing fantastic things. And we spoke about numbers yesterday as well that, um, you know, that police care have helped so far. And and I think this is just a, a, an amazing thing to have in place. And, and it will be incredibly reassuring because I'm sure there'll be a lot of people out there that are going through the process that don't know this is available to them. So, Alan, thank you so much for your time. Brilliant interview. Fantastic. Great detail and um, and very reassuring for a lot of people, I'm sure. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Thanks, Alan. Hi Andy, thanks ever so much for agreeing to be interviewed. It's really kind of you. And so far, we've spoken to um, uh, to Dave, and we've spoken to Alan as well. And what I'd like to do is, if you could just tell us a little bit about uh, obviously who you are and your role within police care, and then we can talk about um, that particular role and volunteering and and, um, and expand it from there, if that's okay. Yeah, sure. No, thank you, Andy. Uh, so I'm Andy Pennock. Um, I'm a serving police officer with um, 21 years service, both within Leicestershire Police. And obviously now Kent Police. Um, I um, I've been a volunteer with Police Care UK since 2017. Um, so I responded to an advert, and I can't remember where I saw it. It, it was an external advert asking for um, what we'll call them volunteer ambassadors. Um, I was very interested in the role. So as a sergeant at the time, I was responsible for my um, staff's welfare, and um, I've dealt with numerous colleagues who. Whereas the organisation supported them, you felt like they needed more. Um, and I also, personally, obviously when you're young in service, you do um, sustain injuries and you can brush them off. And I found after about seven years, I was getting some injuries that I couldn't quite brush off. Mm. They lingered and I still have, um, I carry at least one of those to this day. So you truly appreciate the help that is needed and what the organisation can and cannot do. So seeing the advert whilst I was sat in my custody suite in Kent, um, I applied for the um, police care. It was initially for the volunteer ambassador role and um, I haven't looked back since. So I very much enjoyed it and increased my um, involvement with the um, charity sometimes on a daily basis. That's brilliant. I know obviously we've spoken before and it's, you know, it's clear that you're really involved. You remember the Blue Light Leavers Facebook group as well and you're, and you're very active there, which is, which is brilliant. Um, so the role of the volunteer, talk us through what it is that the volunteer um, actually does within Police Care UK. Okay, so we currently have um, three types of volunteer. These roles are currently being reviewed. We review them as the business develops and expands so we understand the need more. So we currently have what we call a police care champion. So we appreciate that um, not everybody can commit lots of hours, but they want to help. So the role of the champion is that 
basic promotion to have in your possession some literature, some flyers, and locally promote it. Place a poster up on the canteen wall. If you're aware of injured um, colleagues, to be able to just give them a briefing from there. It is very much that quick hit raising the profile. And that could be one hour a month. So it's not demanding, but the impact is great because we are visually getting the message out there. And uh, the type of person could be a champion, it can be a serving um, officer or civilian member of staff. You could be retired. It depends on what your um, access levels are. Leading on from that, we have the ambassador roles, and these are more in depth to the um, promotion. So as part of this, you do receive training from the charity, understanding the services and support that we can offer. So ordinarily in that role, you will find yourself at the events with the stand, truly promoting the charity, responding to the um, in-depth questions, and also acting as a support figure for the champions who will not have had the in-depth knowledge of the charity from there. So we have a lot of people who do that, uh, as well as we have to identify um, colleagues who have sustained harm, who need support from there. That can also lead to um, attracting people for fundraising opportunities. Mm. As a charity, we continue to need funds. Um, our complementary care line costs about a million pounds a year. So whether people want to do silly things like me running a half marathon, still recovering from that one or whatever we will do whatever we can do to, to raise it from there moving on from there we have the support volunteer that i also do and that is where you are directly tasked by the charity to liaise with the beneficiary so obviously police KUK is an independent support charity so that is what attracts me to it you know it is different independent of the service because not everybody who needs help us confidence in the service. Mm-hmm. So once that harm has been registered, the team at Police Care will manage that beneficiary, but sometimes the face-to-face interaction is needed. And obviously, because we have the spread over England, Wales, Scotland, Northern Ireland, they cannot deal with all of it. So they then will task the support volunteer to visit that beneficiary, and it may be for a number of reasons. It may be they need help with filling the paperwork, it may be they need help with um, collating the material they need for a submission for help. Sometimes it could be that when we go there, we actually realise, because colleagues in the police are often too proud, they're actually not asking for as much as they need. Mm. So we can go through it from there. And then as the uh, as the onward care is managed, if further face-to-face um, contact required, again, we'll be tasked to do that mm. and was once you're a beneficiary you are a beneficiary for life so they will manage the need as it develops or if it does develop through time that's brilliant that is so good um and what does the training involve and how long does it take okay so the training for the volunteer ambassador it's it's a part of the induction so the um the training that i went through has very much changed the actual recruitment starts with an induction day now. So obviously as a charity, we'd rather expose um, potential um, new recruits, volunteers, to what is expected, what they are with us in for. So that actual day they go to, which is advertised on the website, um, obviously they're all postponed right now due to COVID restrictions. Mm-hmm. It makes you sure, sure that you know what you're putting yourself in for, because after that, you are going to have to apply. And what impressed me is it was a professional recruitment process. Mm. It was an application. They did take up references from from there. So you understood the, you know, the professional nature of the charity. Um, From there, there is onward engagement. So obviously currently due to COVID restrictions now, we're having monthly teams meetings Mm -hmm. just so that our awareness can be maintained. Um, Say about a few weeks ago, we were dealing with the, um, the team who deal with the beneficiaries so not every volunteer deals with support volunteers so they could get a better understanding of the entire package mm. alan who we've already spoken to was delivered in-depth inputs into peer support so they keep it rolling over there's additional training that they they do offer um obviously we you have the mental health first aid course so as a support volunteer, you undergo that. So they do identify the training packages, whether it's in person. They also do have the remote e-based learning products. Mm-hmm. Um, very, very similar to what you um, receive in the police. But again, it does equip you 
with the the tools you need to form the role. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and clearly, you know, what you're doing is is really helping, and it's making a big difference for both the charity and for those that you're interacting with, the beneficiaries. Um, but how have you found it's it's impacted you, and how have you felt on a personal level? On a personal level, for me, it is the job satisfaction. Mm-hmm. Um, so, from in dealing with the beneficiaries, seeing the benefits that they get from it. So, you see, you know, when you first meet them, you see the negative impact on the quality of life. You know, they can't get upstairs anymore. They can't maintain their hygiene due to you know, it could be mobility issues. It could be anything, but you see them there, and then the support they can get, whether it is. Um, the funding and modifications to the home or the other areas. So some of the help we get as a support volunteer, I'm not notified about because in the, the day it is confidential. The uh, the support team deal with it within the charity themselves. But it is the overarching sense that you are helping the policing family. Yeah. As well as personally, you are developing your networks. You are part of a large team, a national team. So when we're, we're um, either going in person to conferences, to a various event sort of training with a team from all over the country serving retired partners of it is just that the feeling of being part of the team and you are you are very much valued they do reward you they do recognize you for your efforts yeah i guess it's, it's almost um you know why we join the job in the first place isn't it is to to help and support and you know actually being able to help and support your own is is massive so it's, it's a great thing you're doing that is correct you know it, it was described to me by uh, another member of the charity it's, it's the british legion for the police yeah. yeah that's what they would envisage it as just so we have that overarching 360 degree wraparound care from the start of your career all the way through if if you do need it great stuff if anyone is interested in volunteering for police care uk how could they go about it Okay, so they can go on to the website, the Police Care UK website, um, and there's a section there where you can show how you can get involved in volunteering. And it goes through the roles of champion, um, the ambassador and the support volunteer. It would take you through to the induction days I talked about, but obviously life is on hold right Mm -hmm. now due to COVID. Mm -hmm. Um, They can contact the charity itself if they wish to um, discuss it. Or I say, and personally, they can contact myself. And I can I can talk them through what it's about, the benefits, the enjoyment. Yeah, great stuff. What's the best way of getting a hold of you, Andy? Okay, so if they're members of the um, Blue Light Leavers page, yeah, um, if they just message me on that, I can then establish however we wish to communicate yeah. and uh, and deal with it from there. And as I always get told off for, I'm on Facebook and LinkedIn all the time, so I'll always see the messages. Brilliant. That's great. Thank you so much for your time. That's really, really helpful. I'm sure you'll get some interest without a shadow of a doubt. So thank you very much for your time. Uh, thank you for the time again. Hi, Terry. Thank you very much for uh, agreeing to be interviewed on the Blue Light Leavers podcast. Could you tell us a little bit about you and what it is that you do with Police Care UK? Yes, of course. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, So I've been with Police Care UK for just under a year now, and I'm the head of fundraising and events. Um, My role is really to bring in um, as many fundraisers uh, that we can that would like to support us and make sure they're well looked after, make sure that they enjoy the fundraising that they do, and to plan some really great events for our supporters and our fundraisers to get involved with. Um, Obviously, that's been put on hold a bit over the last year, but we're really hoping once things uh, calm down a bit, we've got some fantastic events that we can get running with. Great stuff. And what sort of things have you done in the past? How have you raised funds previously? Uh, we've done we've done lots of things. We've done the the really great challenge events, you know, the kind of big halves, the London marathons, the the night riders, all that really great stuff. Um, we're now getting involved with some virtual challenges, which are really really fantastic. Um, and then we've done some, um, you know, some quite high profile events as well. So we've, we've got a real mixture, actually. We're really, really lucky with the support that we receive and what we're able to do. Oh, that's great. And where do you generally advertise? How do people get to see what it is, what events that you've got coming up? So we, we do a lot on our website and using social media. Uh, but we've, what we've 
really got is a, a really, really great group of volunteers and champions that do so much for us. Uh, you know, they're, they're out there, they're, they're in the forces, they're speaking to people all the time about what we do. And, you know, we rely on them so much to get that word out. And they're really fantastic. Yeah, that's great. And there's, there's some really good work that you're doing as well. You know, I've picked up on so many amazing things. And, you know, I know this podcast is going to make a big difference for a lot of people. It'll really help some people who who may be struggling at the moment as well. But um, um, how important is fundraising to Police K UK? It's absolutely vital. I mean, we're here for every frontline police officer and their families. And, you know, we're, we're, we're providing national support at a local level. Um, we're completely independent of the police service and we're funded entirely by donations and fundraising. So we don't receive any government funding or any funding from the forces for our work. So it's really, really important that we, we have that bank and that group of amazing fundraisers that really support what we do and get something back for fundraising for us. You know, we want people to feel good about what they're doing. And that's why we really try and look after our fundraisers and make sure that they've got some great materials and feel well supported. Um, so, you know, in the last six months, we've provided more than 2,500 sessions of specialist counselling, and that's 16 times the level in the same period last year. So wow. providing this lifeline is made possible completely by the generosity of our fundraisers and our donors. Wow, that's incredible. And I know it's, it is really difficult at the moment, obviously, with, um, you know, with everything that's going on with COVID. But um, what have you got coming up? So, yeah, as you know, the last year has been extremely tough for lots of charities, especially those supporting frontline workers um, and lockdown has halted many of our fundraising events. So we're really excited to be putting on some virtual events now. And we've done a couple over the last four months. We've done two different Get Active challenges and we've been blown away by the support we've received. We've raised over £10,000. We've seen over 800 people take part. And we love seeing all of their pictures, all of their comments. It's fantastic. It, it really brightens our day. And I know that our, you know, the people we support love seeing it as well. Mm. So we've got another challenge coming up. We've got, um, we're joining forces with the fire, police and ambulance services. And we're asking uh, everyone that supports those to sign up, get moving, boost their mental and physical health. And they'll be doing that, supporting those blue light charities that do so much for the health and well-being of those frontline personnel. So starting this January, they can walk, run, cycle, take a Joe Wicks P class, dance around the kitchen or do a general act of kindness because you get bonus points for that. So we've right. got a real kind of well-being feature to it this time around. Love that. Um, and it runs throughout January and February. So we're, we we really want people to get involved with that. We've got free places if they would like to fundraise for us, or they can take one of the paid places and pay £25 with a, a segment of that going to one of their chosen charities. Oh, fantastic. So um, we'll obviously advertise that within the Blue Light Leavers Facebook group, obviously. But um, if people want to register for that, how would they go about doing it? They just need to go to our website head to the get involved section and they'll see it all there or they can simply search for blue light challenge um and it will come up and it's sponsored by the blue light card holders so we've you know we've got brilliant backing there brilliant sponsorship there they're sponsoring the free places so i would say if you can take one of them make the most yeah. of it and do a bit of fundraising because it really is fun and our team's on hand to support you so if you've never fundraised before if if you're can't really remember um, how to go about it. Our team's there on hand. We've got some brilliant materials and we can guide you through. Great stuff. That's brilliant, Terry. Thank you so much for that. And, and you know, it is so vital for what you're doing. It's, um, you know, you don't get any government funding or anything like that at all. So it's, um, you know, it, we know how important it is, but that's brilliant. So if um, people don't necessarily want to be an out-and-out -out fundraiser, but do want to get involved and do want to support the work that you're doing, what's the best way of them doing that? Another way that people can support our work is by joining and sharing our regular giving campaign. We've recently launched our Friends of Police Care UK scheme. Donors can set up a regular amount to suit them that can be changed or paused at any time. And they know that that money is going to help the people that really, really need it. 
And by giving regularly, it means that they'll help us change lives today, tomorrow and in years to come. So that regular giving is really important to us. And it's something that we really, really welcome people to get involved in if they can. They simply need to go to our website, to the Get Involved section and have a look at the Friend of UK scheme. Brilliant. Thank you for that, Terry. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you. So I really hope you enjoyed that and you found it useful as an introduction into Police Care UK and the services they offer and how they can help you and your family. And also obviously how we can support them as well. Now over the coming weeks and months, I'm going to be doing a lot more with um, Police Care UK in partnership with them, particularly for those going through the ill health uh, retirement process or those that are struggling having left the job. So if you're not already a member, it's a really good time to join the Blue Light Leavers private Facebook group. And you can also get more information on the Blue Light Leavers website, which is www.bluelightleavers.com. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Speak to you again soon. Bye-bye for now.